Over the last month, or just a little bit over, we've been journeying through the the book of Acts, looking at some of what the early church learned as they sought to take what they had learned from Jesus out into the world. As they sought to take what Jesus had taught them out into the world. During the the first sermon of the series, I mentioned that we, we titled this sermon series, this is church, and I kind of did it off of a, a play on words from the, the TV show, This Is Us, and a few of you said, oh, I know that show. Uh, a few you know that show. So my wife and I sat down to watch the first season, or the first episode of the new season earlier this week, and we watched, we watched through, the, through the episode, and halfway through, we were thinking, what, what are we watching? None of the characters were the same characters that we were used to. We were just, I'm sorry if... I'm spoiling it for some of you that haven't gotten that far yet. Um, none of the characters were, were characters that we were used to. It was, it was just kind of confusing. The reality is one of the reasons we like the show is the writers of the show are, are brilliant, especially when it comes to showing that, that life together in a family is messy. The life together in a family is messy. And the reality is life together in a church family is also messy. Life together in a church family is also messy. That was true for the early church. So, so we learn as we read through the book of Acts, and if you were to read through it from start to finish, you'd see that there's, there's this incredible story told, but it's not in any way a clean one. There's all kinds of surprises. There's all kinds of, did that really just happen? What, what's going on? And by the time we get to where we are today in chapter 8, Jesus' earliest followers they, they had developed a bit of an infrastructure for the church. They had formed some committees. Um, but, but they were still trying to figure out how to relate to the world outside of the church. How to share what Jesus had shared with them with the rest of the world. They were learning how to welcome people into the church. So in our first passage that Aubrey read this morning, we saw that, that Philip is called by an angel of the Lord to, to leave Jerusalem and to head toward Gaza, an area about 50 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And along the way, he runs into a, an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, Daryl's class later is probably going to cover some of this, so if you want to stick around for the next, next hour, she's going to unpack some of this. But, but Ethiopian doesn't necessarily mean Ethiopian in the way that we think of Ethiopian. It's not thinking of the country of Ethiopia. Yes, it was in Africa, but not in the exact same place that we picture Ethiopia to be today. So the Ethiopian eunuch uh, had most likely picked up a, a copy of Isaiah's prophecy in Jerusalem and was taking it home. They start reading through a part of Isaiah together, and then we get to our second reading where we see this. The eunuch asked Philip, about who may I ask does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they they came up to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, or commanded the chariot to stop, and, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself in Astosis, Astos, 
And he, as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you please join me in prayer? Loving and gracious God, we, we thank you for the gift of your scripture, for the truths it speaks into our lives. And Lord, as we, <clears throat> as we unpack it a bit now, we ask that you would give us ears to hear what you have for us. And Lord, I ask that you would take my words and use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Every once in a while, I will, I'll turn on the news or I'll, I'll flip through social media and I'll hear or, or see someone make a statement about Christianity and I'll just go, oh, oh, don't do that. Any of you have that, that experience ever? You say, oh, don't, don't say that. Don't, don't do that. Oh, that, that hurts. A person being interviewed will quote a passage entirely out of context or, or will make a claim that doesn't line up with what 99% of the Christian world believes. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about small kind of doctrinal differences or small theological differences. I can handle those. I'm talking about those kind of big fundamental claims. It, it happened here in our community not too long ago um, at Thousand Oaks High School. A group showed up carrying signs, making statements about God's wrath and God's sin, making horrible claims, connecting God's wrath and God's sin to what happened at Borderline. You all know those sorts of signs that I'm I'm talking about? The the signs that people walk around and say, God hates so-and-so, God hates this, God hates, hates that. Repent or go to hell, those sorts of things. A few years ago... I went to the Indianapolis 500 with my dad, and, and we were walking into uh, the, the race and found a group of those folks carrying those signs, telling everyone they were going to hell, everyone that they, they, they should repent. And I remember thinking, huh, I wonder how many people they've actually convinced to repent. And, and then, it, then I got angry. Then I got angry. What they were saying was a massive misrepresentation of what I claim to believe. I wondered how many Christians had walked by with that, that same sort of thought. And secondly, I was pretty frustrated because Scripture is clear that we're all called to share our faith, but, but there's a, a right way to do it, a way that, that lines up with Scripture, and, and, and there's this way. We're called to live into the Great Commission. Every follower of Jesus is called to live into the Great Commission, to make disciples, teaching what Jesus taught, calling people to obey what Jesus commanded, and and, and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's hard to do that, especially in a climate like the one we live in today. So how do we do it? What do we do? If as followers of Christ we're called to share our faith with others, and and Scripture is pretty clear that we are, how do we share our faith in a way that is respectful, that's effective, that, that is fruitful all at once? How do we live into the Great Commission? The story of Philip and and the Ethiopian eunuch gives us a pretty good idea of how that looks. We first meet this Philip in Acts chapter 6, where he's introduced as one of the deacons. And then in Acts 7 and 8, he's described as, as one of the church's first evangelists. 
The Christian community in Jerusalem grows. That upsets leaders, religious leaders in the area, including a, a zealous young man named Saul, who goes from house to house dismantling churches and threatening them. And so people scatter. People scatter. And some of those people end up in Samaria. Philip is one of the people who, who ends up in Samaria, where he preaches to the masses. Preaches to the masses. And, and as he preaches to the masses, the disciples hear, this, this guy is a really good preacher. People are, are, are coming to Jesus. Let's go check it out. Let's go see what he is doing that, that is working. And we're not going to get into it today. We don't have time to get into it today. But I think it's really important, if you want to read some more later on at home, to go home and read about what Philip does in Acts 8 in Samaria and contrast that to the approach that he takes here with the Ethiopian eunuch. They're very, very different approaches. One is kind of talking to the masses, and one is talking to the one. The Ethiopian eunuch, uh, he held an office in the Ethiopian high court, uh, the queen's treasury. We can almost think of him as the, the, the CFO, the chief financial officer for the, the, the whole area of, of Ethiopia. So he's a man with means. He's a man with status. But, but he definitely didn't quite fit in where he was. And yet there was something about the Jewish faith that, that drew him in, whether it was a distant relative of his, whether it was a reason to come. There was something about the Jewish faith that drew him in. Now, there's a chance that he's introduced to it by his descendants, Jewish exiles that lived in his area, but, but we, can't, we can't really know. There was just something that drew this man in. And Luke writes that, that he was on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to, to worship, and after worship, where he wouldn't really have been fully allowed to participate completely in what was happening in worship because he identified as a eunuch, he still had questions. He still had questions. Philip and the eunuch have, have very different backgrounds. And it was a, a divine appointment that brings the two of them together. We're told in Acts chapter 8, 26 through 27, that, that Philip was guided by an angel of the Lord to head south, remember, toward, toward Gaza. He's not really told exactly where he should go. Just get on the wilderness road and see what you find. Just, just go, go, go that way and see what you can find. And, and he listens. And he listens. Now, I know if I were Philip and, and, and an angel of the Lord came to me, or I had this clear, you're going somewhere, I would say, why? What, what am I going to find? Who, who's... Who's there? What, what, what is it that, that I will be doing? And why does God want me to leave right now? I'd be full of questions. But the entire reason that Philip is in the right place at the right time was because he was obedient, because he listened. And he hit the road expecting God to show up. Now, we might not hear an angel of the Lord in the same way or, or have a, a clear calling to one, one area or another, but the beginning of Philip's journey reminds us that we can't wait to have all the answers before we begin our journey. We can't wait to have all the answers before we begin our journey of obedience, before we say, God, take us to wherever you want us to go. Because we aren't going to have all those answers. We can't know what the Lord has planned or what God is going to place on, or who God is going to place on our path, but we can know that God has a plan for what's in front of us. Real or authentic faith sharing begins 
when we accept that God is on the move everywhere we go. So when we step out on a journey, we need to look for those places. And I think this, this starts with a, a simple prayer. And maybe it's something we all pray in the morning. Lord, use me. I might not know where I'm going today. And I might not know who I'm going to run into today. Help me to say the right thing at the right time in the right way. It's a simple, simple prayer. Lord, use me in the morning. Luke writes that Philip sees the chariot and is led by the Spirit to run over to it. There's an honest interest in what this Ethiopian is, is, is doing. A foreigner in a chariot holding a scroll of Isaiah was, was, wasn't normal. It drew his attention. And Philip wants to find out more. So he, he recognizes the, the Ethiopian and he goes toward him. Now, this part of the story, it, it almost parallels Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus is on his way from Judea back to Galilee, but, but he hears that the Pharisees are on the, on the lookout for him. So he says, OK, we're going to go a different route. And, and, and he ends up at, at this well outside of the city. And, and, and a woman is there collecting water in the middle of the day. He notices her. He sees her. This woman is, is collecting water in the middle of the day, which, which would have meant something. When it was hot, when no one else is around, there had to be more to her story. Philip sees the eunuch. He's traveling in the middle of the day, carrying a scroll. There had to be more to the Ethiopian's story. Philip sees the Ethiopian struggling through the scroll, scroll of sacred scripture, and he asks, do you understand what you're reading? The question that Philip asks implies, is that scroll something that's important to you? Jesus sees the woman scooping water at the well, alone, ashamed, and asks, can I have a drink? The question that Jesus asks implies, I see you. I know you're different. You're a Samaritan and I'm a Jew. I'm a man and you're a woman. I see you. I'm safe. Can I have a drink of water? Differences are acknowledged, are acknowledged, safe boundaries are established, and uncommon respect is formed. The challenge for us here is to really pay attention to our surroundings. You never know who God is going to place on your path. And you can't know their story. You, you can't know where they're coming from or, or where they are going. You can't know how their day has been. You can't know how they were raised. You can't know any of those things. And we still are called to see the other person. An important part of sharing our faith is believing that every single person is created in God's image. Regardless of what they believe or where they've been. And accepting the reality that we don't know their story. So we need to hear their story. And that all starts with, with the simple conversation. Who knows how the eunuch was treated before Philip met him? And as he asked this question, maybe, maybe he had been made fun of trying to attend worship in Jerusalem. Maybe he had been told, hey, you don't belong. Why are you here? We, we, can't, we can't know that. Why do you have a scroll? We, we don't know his backstory. The Ethiopian responds, how can I understand this unless somebody guides me? You can almost hear his frustration or, or his defeat. Look, no one would explain it to me in Jerusalem. Not the Pharisees, not the scribes. 
How can I understand this without some help? Who's going to help me? And as the eunuch expresses frustration and asks a question, Philip is invited to speak truth into his life. He's given permission to share his faith. There's another lesson for us here. Philip has earned the right to be heard. He doesn't start with the lecture. He listens first. And the eunuch, he was reading from Isaiah 53, which is a prophecy that, that we typically read in today's church around Easter. So Philip explains the passage through the lens of, through that lens of all that happened to Jesus. But there's a lot more to Isaiah than, than prophetic poems about Jesus. It's about the fate of the people of Israel. About how God's promise is constant even when God's people let God down. So Philip and the Ethiopian, they, they ride along in the chariot and Philip shares the gospel through the lens of what the Ethiopian understood or began to understand, had some idea of, which is Isaiah. Philip is guided by God, obedient even when he's not too sure what he's going to find. Then he sees the Ethiopian eunuch and he starts a conversation on the eunuch's terms. It's a different picture than what we often think of today when we hear the word evangelism. As they ride along, they approach a body of water and the Ethiopian asks to be baptized. My guess is he still had questions. That there are still plenty of questions. He just wanted to put kind of the stake in his journey and say, yes, this is what I believe. This is who Jesus is. This is what it means to me. Luke writes that after baptizing the Ethiopian, Philip is taken away to his next journey. And that the Ethiopian eunuch goes away rejoicing. Now, I have to imagine that Philip wanted to know what was next for his new friend. And I'm, I'm guessing the Ethiopian had questions that he still wanted to unpack with Philip. So much of the journey of faith is learning to recognize that we don't control the outcome of our conversations. God is in control and, and we are not. In some ways, that should take the pressure off us when it comes to sharing our faith. We share our faith, and, and, and God does what God is going to do. As a pastor, there's a, a, a passage in Scripture that's, that's incredibly reassuring, especially when it comes to, to evangelism, this sort of evangelism for, for me. Paul's addressing some of the, the bickering that's going back and forth in the church in Corinth, and, and some were claiming allegiance to a leader, to Apollos, and, and others were attaching themselves to Paul. And, and, and Paul writes, Who am I? Who's Apollos? We're both servants of the Lord. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I can't help but, but wonder with the Ethiopian, you have Philip who planted, who watered. We don't know. But God gave the growth. We're all called to share our faith. It's not just for pastors to plant some seeds, to water others. But it's not up to us to bring the growth. That's God's job. May we be a church that commits to planting and watering seeds. Let's be a community that actively shares our faith. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I ask this week that you would give us all opportunities to share our faith, as daunting as that might sound. Place people on our paths. 
Help us to see them, to fully recognize them, and to start conversations. Lord, we ask that you'd use each one of us here in the way that you see fit. We pray these things in your name. Amen.